If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, and as you find that, you can stand. And I'm going to read Romans 1, 28-32. We'll be in chapter 2 this morning, but I wanted to read from here at the end of chapter 1. Romans 1, beginning in verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. Father, we just look to you again that you, by your Spirit, would instruct our hearts. That this wouldn't just be a thing about our heads, Lord, but that you, you by your Spirit, would work in us deeply. That from the heart, God, that we would give our response to you, our amen, and permit you, God, to work in us all that is of your good pleasure. In Christ's name, amen. Be seated. Well, I should give a couple of um, brief announcements real quickly. Um, in that, I think, and I kind of doze out during announcements, so if I'm repeating anything, forgive me. Y'all probably do the same thing, so you can. I don't think that we announced that Vincent and Nina Lee Roshuger joined the church last week, did we? So where are Vincent and Nina Lee there? Okay. And um, there was one misprint in the bulletin on, on our Patsy and Mai's email address. It should be hctc.net, not hcy, in case you're trying to get a hold of Patsy about that graduation thing. hctc.net is what it should be. I read the last part of chapter 1 um, because chapter 2 here of Romans seems to be addressing at the least the Jewish people and probably, I think, more broadly, both Jew and Gentile who would consider themselves not part of the list that I just read in chapter 1, 28 through 32. And is a horrendous description of how far people can get away from God. Where they no longer acknowledge God, verse 28, they no longer see fit to acknowledge God, and so God gives them over to a depraved mind. They are filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed. They know the ordinance of God, but they give hearty approval to those who would participate with them in their sin. They are slanders and haters of God. That is not all people on the face of it. And there are a good percentage of people. The United States probably has more than its fair share. Who would read that list and say, wow, those are bad people. I'm glad it's not me. Romans 2 is for everybody who thinks that Romans 1 is not for them. You remember the story of the 
of the tax collector and the Pharisee, who were both standing at the temple, and the one was, was beating his chest and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee was looking at the tax collector and saying, God, I thank you that I am not like him. A friend of mine pointed out to me one time, if you read that story and think that you are the man who beats himself on the chest saying, God, have mercy on me, you are the other man. Think about it. If you read that passage and say, God, I am the tax collector, not the Pharisee, you're the Pharisee. Because the Pharisee is the one who's saying, I'm not that guy. And so you can see how subtle this is. That we can even say, oh, I'm a sinner. And yet, really not be speaking the truth. The heart is really not speaking. We, by nature, are Pharisees and hypocrites. And this passage starts out about addressing the issue of hypocrisy. God's going to say in this passage that he has basically three standards of measurement. One is just simply the truth. Second is impartiality. He is a just and fair judge. And the third is Jesus Christ himself. But he begins and he says, Therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment. For in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O man, that when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads us to repentance? Now, clearly he's talking about judging hypocritically. And if you look at the list of chapter 1 and say, God, that's not me. And then God says, really? God looks at the heart. Maybe I've never been guilty of adultery, but God looks at my adulterous heart. Maybe I've never been guilty of murder. And Jesus says, if you've had anger in your brother toward your heart, you've already committed murder. We often don't judge ourselves rightly. God does. We hear that the church is full of hypocrites. Amen. It is. And so is the world. You know what a hypocrite is? Hypocrite is simply a person who does not live in keeping with what he professes. That's all a hypocrite is. And there is nobody who lives absolutely true to what he professes. Now the bottom line seems to me of those people who don't know Christ and who have no interest in the things of God, the bottom line for them morally is do no harm. As long as what I'm doing doesn't hurt anybody else, then it is nobody else's business. What I do in the privacy of my own home is my business and no one else's. Do no harm. Seems to be the highest standard, the bottom line, for those who have no heart for God. And they don't even live up to that. 
Now, our bottom line as Christians is a little higher. It's the glory of God. Bottom line for us is we should always be asking the question, is this to the glory of God? Can God be glorified in this? In all that you do, do all to the glory of God, Scripture says. That's the bottom line for us. So you can see it's a lot easier for a Christian to be hypocritical. It's easier for a Christian not to live up to all that he professes when what he professes is everything should be to the glory of God. So yes, Christians look oftentimes more hypocritical than people in the world because what we profess is much higher than the people who live in the world. We profess God must be glorified in all that we do. And the world says, just don't hurt anybody. As long as nobody else is getting hurt, that's all that matters. And they too, as low as that standard is, they don't meet up to it. But guess what? It's almost like God's going to say in this passage, I don't care what your standard is. I will judge you by your own standard. And you will be condemned. Now, he will judge us by Christ and through Christ. But even if Christ were out of the equation, if we simply were judged by God on the basis of what we profess to be right living, every single human would stand condemned. He is a hypocrite. No one lives completely true to what he professes then why doesn't God just judge us all right now? In chapter 1, the wrath of God is being poured out. And it's poured out in that God hands them over. Not by fire and brimstone coming down from heaven, but we saw last week three times God says He gave them over. That is the wrath of God. That's not happening in chapter 2. In chapter 2, these people have not been given over. God's hand is still on their lives. God is being merciful, patient, forbearing, kind toward them. But they are storing up wrath. Because these people, in their smugness and their complacency, and thinking, man, there's no judgment coming upon me, and I'm better than other people are, they are ignoring that the kindness of God is not an endorsement on their sin and on their hypocrisy. It is the withholding, for a temporary time, God's wrath. Look at verse 4. Do you not think lightly of the riches, riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? You're not being judged because you're not worthy of being judged. You're not being judged at this time because God is trying through His kindness to lead you to repentance. The severity of God also leads to repentance. And sometimes God is severe. Other times, much of the time, He is long-suffering and patient. That is God's typical way of dealing with the world ever since Christ came into this world. Jesus suffered and died. All kinds of abuse was hurled at Him, He was afflicted, scourged, mocked, beaten, and all the while, God was forbearing. Lord, forgive them, 
They do not know what they are doing. That is one of the most amazing things to me about the cross of Christ. Is that, is that Jesus, who spoke this world into being, could have uttered the smallest word, and it all would have come to an end. He was forbearing. And that forbearance of God was not an indication that those people were not doing anything wrong. It was an indication of the grace and mercy of God. It's the same today. He is still today a suffering Messiah. And he suffers through the lives of his people. And the fact that God is not bringing supernatural intervention of judgment into the world is not an indication that God is pleased with what's happening. But he is forbearing. Verse 5, Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will have it worse on the day of judgment? The person who lived a vile life of hatred toward God or the person who lived a decent life, who acknowledged God, who knew there was a God, perhaps even knew that Jesus Christ died for him, but he never really felt like he needed him and never put his faith in him. I believe the scripture says the judgment will be worse for the person who knew Jesus died for him and who never put his faith in Jesus than the person who never heard concerning Christ, even if he lived a vile life in rebellion against God. The judgment is not going to be the same for every soul of man who did not put his faith in Christ. Every single deed is going to be judged, he's going to tell us, and the wrath is being stored up, meaning that there's not going to be the same measure of judgment against every person. And those who are going to have it particularly bad will be those good and decent people who thought that they would be saved on the basis of their goodness and their decency. It will be especially bad. Because it's an affront to the truth of God. God says, I say, you are in need of a Savior. And you say, you are your own Savior. You don't need me for a savior. You're saying that you are God. If you are saying you don't need God's answer for your sin. Jesus Christ. They are stubborn and unrepentant and storing up wrath. It's a very sobering passage. Good people without Christ will have it hard in the day of judgment. Verse 6, he will render to every man according to his deeds. Now these next verses here are on the face of it, they're hard to understand because they seem to be contradictory to what the rest of Scripture says. It seems on the face of it that Paul is saying here that a person works. Look at how he starts in verse 7. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. 
There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to every man who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So you can, it would seem, work your way to heaven if you live a good enough life. And then he continues, For there is no partiality with God, for all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Whoa. The doers of the law will be justified. Now hold your finger here and look at why this is a problem. Go to chapter 3. In verse 20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Look at chapter 4 and verse 5. But the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. In the book of Galatians, Chapter 2, verse 16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In verse 21 of Galatians 2, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Those are pretty strong and clear statements. So what is Paul saying back here in Romans 2? For the hearers of the law, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. If it were possible, is one way of taking this, that a person could actually do the law throughout his whole life, then that person could be justified. But no person ever has, and no person ever will. Looking at chapter 3 of Romans again, in verse 10, as it is written, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. If we are honest with what the law says and honest with our hearts, then verse 19 of Romans 3 says, we will be shut up. We know, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. If we're honest with the law, it condemns us all. And I think that's a major part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus had to, had to clarify that the, that the full intent of the law is to judge our hearts and not just our behavior. And that when the law is applied as God intended it to be applied, we all stand condemned. That's why at the end of chapter 3, Paul will say, all of this has been building up to the simple point. 
all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And again, God's bottom line is His own glory. Not how I've lived in relation to other people, but whether or not God has been glorified in my life from beginning to end. The standard is Jesus Christ Himself. Not how I've lived in relation to other people. It occurs to me that it may be, and I think is often the case, that one of the reasons that we appear, in saying we, just Americans in general, people who have not put their faith in Christ, but many times appear to be better than other people. You go to other countries and see how how unsafe it is and how corrupt things are, um, and you feel blessed to live in this country. But it occurs to me that maybe one of the reasons that we are as good as we are is because of what we have inherited. And it's not because of any choice on my part to necessarily be good. I was born in a free and safe country that is largely free from the kind of corruption that we see in other countries. But the question is, on the basis of how much I know, what have I ignored? On the basis of how much I've inherited, what have I squandered? And I began thinking about how much a person in this country is born with in terms of the knowledge that he can receive concerning Jesus Christ. And the kind of, of, of just moral country that we live in, as bad as it is, it is still a shining light in comparison to most countries in this world. And you think about how much people ignore, just blatantly ignore, and how much they just squander of the freedoms and liberties that they have. And then you begin to see you may not be as bad as you could be. Maybe not be as bad as other people are. But how different should we be? You would think that an unbeliever living in this country ought to, ought to be vastly better than somebody who doesn't know Christ living in another country. But again, the standard is not people living in other countries. It is, as Paul's going to say in this chapter, ultimately it comes down to Jesus Christ. But again, God is saying, if you want the standard to be yourself and how you've lived, I will judge you by the standard that you choose. And if the standard that you choose is your own deeds, you are storing up wrath for yourself. Be ready and fear God. So it's very sobering. So a person can just say, you know, I don't believe that Jesus is going to judge me because God is love. Okay? Whatever standard you choose, you can respond. Is the standard God will use against you. And you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of judgment. So I don't think that Paul is saying that it is possible for a person to live according to the law and be justified. He may be saying, hypothetically, even if it were possible, it would never happen. Another way of, of looking at this that, that inclines my heart a bit 
is that if a person is seeking after God. So again, going back to verse 7. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality. And I think we ought to be charitable enough to acknowledge there are people who do want to do the right thing. And they are not saved. There are people who want to live a good and moral life. They want to be considered honest. They want to give a fair shake to the next guy. They don't want to go through life taking advantage of people. I believe that. But that doesn't mean they're saved. We all have to put our faith in Jesus Christ. There is one Savior. But if there is a man, woman, any person who says, Man, I want to live what is right. I want to do the good thing. And he acknowledges that there's a God. And, he, and, he, and even maybe comes to the point of just saying, I, I want this, but I still fall short. I believe God's indicating to us that he will do whatever it takes to bring that person into the knowledge of Jesus Christ that he might put his faith in Christ. If there is anything that's clear about chapter 1 of Romans, it is that when a person rejects the knowledge of God that he has, a knowledge that's revealed in the conscience that God's given him and in the creation that God has put us in. If there is a person who rejects the basic knowledge of God, who refuses to to acknowledge God or to give thanks to God, their life will get continually worse in terms of the morality of their own person. There is a downward spiral that's that's demonstrated demonstrated to us in chapter 1. That is a spiritual law. The further you walk away from God, the darker it gets. That is a law. And the same thing would be true on the other side. When you you draw near to God, you will walk in greater and greater light. And so I don't think there's any problem here. That if a person is truly seeking what is right and wants to be a doer of what is right, that God will lead them into greater and greater light to where they will hear concerning Christ and have the opportunity to put their faith in Him. Bottom line, though, is at the end of this section, beginning in verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves. Every man is a legalist. That's what he's saying. Now he may not be operating according to the law of Moses. He may maybe, maybe never even heard of Moses or the law. But every single person is functioning according to some law. And he may be functioning according to the highest law he has, which is the law of only his conscience. And his conscience says to him, that is not the right thing to do. Whatever law you function according to is the law that you will be judged by. That's what he's saying. And if you live as a legalist, functioning by any law, any law, law of Moses or law of conscience, it is by that law you will be judged. There's no hope other than coming to Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment, we'll read in Romans 8, of the law. He fulfills the law.
So it's not just the person who thinks that if I keep the law of Moses, it'll ingratiate me to God, who is a legalist. Even the person who doesn't even know there's a law of Moses. He is a law unto himself. Verse 15, In that they show that the works of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. And then finally, verse 16, On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how good or bad another person is. God knows. And sometimes the most moral people, even among Christians, can be struggling with secret things that no other person would ever have any idea of. I've told you about the old Saint Alan Redpath, who used to be a big part of the torchbearer ministry in England wrote many books, was the pastor of Moody Bible Church for a long time in Chicago. Just fine, godly man. Walked with Christ ever since his mid-twenties, I think it was, is when he came to Christ. And one of the last conversations he had with anybody, um, Charles Price, another man that used to be with Torchbearers, went to visit him in the hospital. And he said, Dr. Redpath, how are you? And Dr. Redpath says, I feel like filth. And I'm just so concerned that any person who walks in this room is going to be just contaminated by the filth that I sense inside me. And I'm just praying that God would just preserve the people who come in contact with me. And this younger man, Charles Price, just couldn't believe it's one of the most godly men he's ever met in his life. And as he's walking out of the hospital, he passed two nurses who were just getting ready to go into his room. And he stopped him and he says, are you taking care of Dr. Bradpath? Yeah. Well, tell me, what's your impression of him? And both women just spontaneously just said, we don't know how to explain it. But when we go into his room, we feel clean. We come out just feeling like we've been washed. So the exact opposite of what he personally felt. But who would ever say, godly man, that on the inside, this is what he felt like. This is what he saw himself to be. But God knows. And again, I'm not saying that was true of him. That's how he felt. But I am saying even those in the world who it looks like they have no need of Jesus. They live good, moral lives without God. God says he judges the secrets of men's lives. He knows what's in the heart. And God says the day is going to come when every person will be judged by the standard of Jesus Christ and by Christ himself. Jesus will judge. He did not, he, we will not stand, the unbeliever will not stand before Jesus and receive welcome. We need to understand that. The person who has, put, who has not put his faith in Christ for salvation is not going to stand before Jesus Christ and receive welcome. When you hear these stories of people who have died and gone to heaven, and they, and they felt that they were in the presence of a loving God who just wanted to embrace them and say, go back to earth because I'm not finished with you yet, and they didn't know Jesus, 
That is not what the Bible describes. They ought to wake up in terror, at least in the fear of God. Because when a sinner stands before a holy God, there is not a welcome sign. There is wrath. It ought to be disturbing. Whether that person is gross and flaunt in his, in his sin, or whether he's lived a moral life in smug complacency, saying he didn't need the Savior. God says he will be judged through Christ, and that Greek word means he will be judged by Christ. And it will not be a happy day. Paul's point here. And again, he's writing to a church. And I don't think Paul's starting from the assumption here that the church in Rome is full of unbelievers. I think he's wanting to remind Christians of the status of those who don't know Christ. And remind them of what God did in our own lives when he convicted us of our sin and our need for Christ. Again, he's going to close out chapter 3 by saying, all have sinned. And all means all. All have sinned. And by whatever standard that they think is the right standard of judgment, by that standard they will be judged. But they will be judged impartially. And they will ultimately be judged by Christ. There is no good news, folks, until we face the bad news. I don't like giving a sermon like this. But there's no good news unless we can readily face the bad news. And the bad news is men were born separated from God because of our sin. And we've done a real good job of sinning ever since we were born. And the only antidote is Jesus Christ himself. And that is true for every single person who has ever been born. Faith in Jesus Christ. Let me close this in prayer.